pretty strict on nothing within three hours before going to sleep. Getting up at five and trying to be in bed by nine, then it means for early dinner, but I'll really try and stick to that. I just find I sleep so badly if I'm eating late. And then I know that's completely different for some people, like my girlfriend who's also a pro cyclist, she has to eat like within half an hour before bed or she'll be too hungry to fall asleep. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Alan McCubbin. And I'm Steph Gaskell. We're both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask sort of stuff that people are debating or talking about during their training run or ride in a coffee shop afterwards or jumping online to try and find an answer for. So we'll take that question, break it down and invite a guest expert, a researcher or practitioner in our A episode and an athlete or coach in their B episode to give their perspective on that topic as well. Today it's episode 42B, Can Changing My Nutrition Improve My Sleep? with cyclist and coach Cyrus Monk. So we'll discuss Cyrus's training in Europe and what it's like living in Ghent, which is a city that lives and breathes cycling in the heart of Belgium. We'll talk about how Cyrus manages his sleep during hard training blocks and prior to competition and the challenges of getting good sleep living in a noisy city in Europe. We'll get his opinion on wearables for tracking sleep and how that can be used and how maybe not to use it as well and also discuss the nutrition aspects, so particular foods or eating habits that he finds has an impact on his quality of sleep and what he's done about that to try and make sure he does get good quality sleep. So another week, Steph, another week free of thesis. How's mm-hmm. life? <laughs> life is good. Yeah, very good. Um, getting a lot of um, marking jobs, <laughs> which is, uh, yeah, always interesting and fun. But, yeah, very happy that I'm getting some some work until I can land a, um, hopefully, a more permanent role somewhere. So, um, yeah. yeah, but enjoying the ability not to have to do thesis on the weekends and things, which is quite yep. nice. Mm. Wake up when you want and run at sensible hours of the day and all that kind of stuff. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yep, yeah. And what about you, Al? You've had some um, sick sick kids, sick family still with um, health yeah, 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 still sick, unfortunately. We got, I actually read this morning, actually, ABC News about rebound COVID. So where you basically have COVID, you've pretty much got rid of it and then it just suddenly comes back again yes. and that seems to be that's... what's happened in our house. So yeah. apparently that's happening in about 10 to 15% of people. So, okay, yeah, yeah right. not fun. Somehow yeah. I've managed to dodge the bullet. but uh, Yeah, that's lucky. Uh, yeah, half the family have got it. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it is You're what it is. One. Not much you can do about it. So yeah, yeah, they're probably not liking you at the moment. They're like, "Wait, you bloody well get it? Stop giving it to us, like letting mm. us have it." <laughs> yes, well, we're in, what is it? Week five, I think, of term three at the moment here in Victoria, and I think we've had both kids at school for nine days out of those five weeks. Mm. So yeah, Ouch. fun and games. Yeah. Mm. But enough about my tales of woe and misery, Steph. Let's get into <laughs> social media shout-outs. Not a lot this yeah. week. Been a fairly quiet one. But we did yeah. have someone contact us on Instagram, a uh, triathlete 
who was going to Kona. He was actually inquiring about the sodium, the five-hour running study. Mm. So um, very nice of them to, to contact me. Thank you. But uh, mm. we actually finished recruitment. So, mm. Steph, you're our lucky last participant to finish mm-hmm. your second trials in a couple of weeks' time, and then we are all done. Yes, exactly. I did say to um, uh, the, the triathlete that I wish she would have contacted you sooner. <laughs> it would have saved you. <laughs> yeah, it would have yeah. saved me um, the time on the treadmill. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll let um, her know if there's, you know, other research that might be of interest to, yeah. to her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, and what about you, Steph? Now you're, mm. the shackles of the PhD are off. Have you been yes. out and about amongst the people and hearing from yep. them about the podcast? Yeah, yeah. I've been, uh, had a, just gone back to a little bit of consulting out. Um, uh, so, yeah, had a athlete yesterday that I was talking to and um, actually a podcast that will be coming up uh, that we've got planned um, for exercise-associated muscle cramping, which I'm sure our listeners will be very excited about, um, I think will be very useful for, for him. But anyway, I was I was must have been mentioning our podcast a little bit, so he's going to um, tune in and, uh, yeah, so we, we can gradually recruit listeners through that means as well. Our... Yeah, exactly. And I actually, it's funny you say that because exactly the same. I had a, a client last week who's a, an ultra runner heading off to a very big event in Europe in a few weeks' time, and the same thing, cramping is his major issue. So, uh, mm. yes, we've got someone who's more or less a world authority on exercise-associated muscle cramping mm. who is just in the middle of moving from one university to the other. So he's packing up his life and moving it from one side of the US to the other. So we get him on once he's settled in and uh, able to talk to us. Yeah, yep. And just a reminder that you can contact us if you have a particular question you'd like answered on the podcast at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. We've had quite a few episodes lately that have been based on listener suggestions and requests, uh, as is next week's, which we'll get to at the end of this episode as well. So, yeah, feel free to reach out if you've got any feedback or you have a question that you'd like answered. And also remember that we have obviously the whole back catalogue of episodes we're getting into the 80-something episodes now, Steph, mm. and uh, there might be, well, one there that answers the question that you're thinking about. So remember mm. that on a lot of podcast players, you only see the last 10 episodes or so, but if you scroll back through over the last uh, almost two years now, you know, there's over 80 episodes there and we've answered about 40 different questions. So it may well be the question you're asked has already been answered as well. Yeah, yeah. And no question is a silly question too, so, yeah. Please send them our way um, and we'd love to to hear them. Today's episode hour, we're up to episode 42B, Can Changing My Nutrition Improve My Sleep? And we're joined by um, cyclist and coach Cyrus Monk. Did you want to introduce Cyrus? Yeah, yeah. So Cyrus is a an Australian cyclist, uh, born in Warrigal, actually, in country Victoria. And uh, when he's here in Australia, spends his time living in Melbourne. He currently rides with a Taiwanese-registered team, Mayo CCN Pro Cycling. Uh, but he's actually living over in Europe, and we'll hear that and where he is at the moment and why in just a minute when we get into the interview. Prior to this year, he spent three seasons riding with an Irish-registered team, Evo Pro Cycling, as well. 
just in terms of some of the the events that he's done and results he's had, um, Cyrus was first in the under twenty three national road race championships in twenty eighteen, and also that year was top ten at the under twenty three Tour of Flanders. So we'll have a bit of a chat to him about that as well and his experience at the Tour of Flanders. He won the World University Games road race in twenty sixteen and was second in the Grafton Inverell Cycling Classic, which is one of the big long one day classics. Um, here in Australia in 2015. Cyrus is also a co-host of the Cycling Performance Club podcast, which is more around sort of training and sports science rather than nutrition, but all obviously related to cycling. And he's also a cycling coach and works with a number of cyclists of, of different levels as well. So yeah, it's great to chat to him and get his impression around sort of sleep and how his nutrition impacts on his sleep and also as a coach what he sees in the other cyclists he works with and the feedback he gets from them as well. Yeah, yep. Awesome. Let's get stuck into it. Let's do it. Cyrus Monk, welcome to The Long Munch. How are you going there over in Europe? Thanks for having me on, a uh, long-time listener, first-time guest. So, yeah, it's been been really good over here in, in Europe. Uh, it's super sunny outside now, super nice and warm. So pretty happy to be avoiding the Melbourne winter for another year. Yes, very <laughs> jealous as we've been scraping ice off our cars most mornings of late. But um, yeah, that, that's all good. Uh, but, you know, it has been a bit of a heat wave over in Europe. We were just talking off air before. I thought that was over, but it's still going. Yeah, the it's where we where I'm staying right now in Germany, it's not known for its heat in this particular part. And last week it was high thirties, which yeah, obviously we get that quite a bit in Australia, but here with no aircon and and houses built to keep the heat in, it does it does make you <laughs> suffer a little bit. So we're lucky we're staying right near a river, so there's been plenty of time spent around around water to try and stay cool. But yeah, it's yep. it's been the hottest summer I can ever remember, which I do love the heat, so I've I've enjoyed it more than plenty of others have, I think. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Now, many cyclists and followers of the National Road Series here in Australia will know of you and have seen you race domestically over here over many years. But as we said, you're over in Europe at the moment, but you're over in Europe racing for a Taiwanese team, Mayo CCN Pro Cycling. So can you tell us a bit about where you are at the moment, where you're based in Europe and what you're doing over there with the Taiwanese team? Yeah, so at the moment I'm living, I've been living most of the year in Ghent in Belgium. So it's not, as, as anyone that's been there would know, it's not the the nicest place for training, but it is basically the the biggest place for cycling in the world. Like just, people live and breathe cycling, not just mm. as a mode of transport, but as a sport there. Like it's just one of their biggest sports. So it is just completely different to in Australia in terms of the sport, the respect that athletes in the sport get there is pretty huge um and yeah that's that's their biggest sport that and and football soccer so yeah they're sort of on a par which is pretty crazy for us when you think of cycling in australia would be at best maybe the 15th or 20th code uh for in terms of what people follow so that's what i love about being in belgium in particular um and then also there's just so much racing on like there's just constantly kermis races they're called which is just short circuit circuit races and yeah i think a lot of people in australia with the way cycling's been recently it's just been so hard for clubs and organizations to host races so we have a really good summer of cycling still but aside from that december 
uh, January, February, and then, yeah, a little bit of March. After that, it tends to drop away quite a bit. So for me, who really loves the racing side of things, I've just had to base myself over in Europe for most of the last, since 2016, I think I've been coming over here each summer. So it's been good because yeah. I haven't had to have a winter for that whole time. Um, and then, yeah, it's just meant that I get to race my bike all year round, which is what I love doing. Yeah, fair enough. And um, did you make it to, were you over there when Tour of Flanders came to town? Uh, no, I wasn't there at that time this year, but there it's like at that time of year, I've been there before. It's just a, a festival of cycling and it's just, uh, yeah, there's just people everywhere from every kind of country as well. And like even being there for the world championships last year when they were in Belgium, just they, I think just like millions, I think they were saying close to 10 million people just came there for that. And it's just insane the amount of people that, that are there and supporting that kind of thing. So it does, um, yeah, make you really enjoy participating in that sport when it's such a big deal over there. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Now, you've obviously had an impressive career yourself. You know, you won the national under-23 road race in 2018, but in that year you also rode the Tour of Flanders that we are just talking about, the under-23 version of that, and finished top 10 at that event. What was the experience like of actually riding that event? Yeah, it was pretty amazing to get the opportunity to race for – so we raced as a national team in that for Australia, and then yeah. one of my teammates and close mates, Jimmy Wheel, and also won that, and then – we had Rob Stanard in third and then myself in 10th. So it was more just like as a team, we were just ecstatic with the way we rode that day. And uh, obviously it's a complete honour to represent Australia and like our, our green and gold bands. It's a, not many people get to wear that jersey. So that was probably, yeah, one of the highlights of my career and especially getting a good result there. And then also, yeah, the the company, like what a lot of the – the riders in that race have gone on to um yeah it's pretty cool to look back on that race and and that kind of thing and also those are roads that i train on now so i've always got those memories when i'm training on those cobbled climbs in that area yeah yeah awesome now you're also a, a cycling coach as well uh, and you're also a podcast co-host as well so um your podcast is the cycling performance club podcast tell us a little bit about how this came about and and what you cover in the podcast yeah, so uh, I did a undergrad Bachelor of Science at Melbourne University and within that, um, I basically started, I, I majored in physiology, so I got into the sports science side of things there and then I was seeing that there was all this really good research that I could I had access to because uh, going through the institution, through the university and thinking, well, people can't see this. Uh, if they don't have access to the studies or these publications because all of the new research comes out in scientific journals. The sacred library password. Yeah, so so without that that uh, library access, I was just thinking there's so much good science here but just not enough science communication. So part of that course that I did, we actually had um, some science communication sort of work that we did and like we had to had to practice writing blogs and that kind of thing. So... I ended up starting my own website through that and then got approached by my now co-hosts who had, had found that website, which was basically just putting this this literature that I was reading myself on the latest stuff in sports science and, and cycling research. And I was just putting that into words that was easy to understand for everyone because I'm sure you guys know better than anyone that a lot of the publications that come out, it 
it can be simple stuff, simple concepts, but just written in a way that if you you haven't studied it for years, then you don't really understand what's going on, even though it might be a really simple idea. So for me, part of this podcast um, that I'm doing and then the part of why I'm a big fan of your podcast here is just being able to communicate ideas in a way that anyone can access. And then, yeah, it feels like a lot of really good research can slip between the cracks if there isn't communication like this to really get it out to to everyone so that everyone can both hear it and have access to it and then understand it as well so that they can then apply it in their own training or or in their own lifestyle and that kind of thing so yeah for me to play a small part in that um i'm really enjoying doing that and being able to communicate that kind of stuff and then also it's just great to be able to talk to some some pros and and some experts in the sports science world as well that are actually doing this research Mm. i think your co-host damien i reckon i did a podcast I think he used yeah, to have a podcast, didn't he? Did he? And I reckon that. I was on that. It was yep. the very first podcast I'd ever done, and I reckon it was probably 10 years ago, maybe yeah, even longer he, now. Yeah, saying something yeah. about that. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> small world. Yeah, very. Yep. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, all right, so our um, podcast question, I guess, today is all around sleeping and um, and if eating can affect my sleeping. Um, so first of all, just talking about sleep um, and particularly, yeah, the influence that nutrition might have on it, how much of a difference do you notice on the bike whether or not you've had a good or poor sleep in the days before? Yeah, I think for me it's not so much the the night before, it's just more of a pattern longer term. So uh, I've often found that like waking up for the weekend bunch ride that I'm really excited to go on so I can do that and then do an epic ride after. Uh, it might be way out of tune if I have to wake up at 5am for that and I haven't been waking up that early before so I might only get a five or six hour sleep and then still feel fine on that bunch ride. But I'm sure if I did that two or three days back to back, it's a completely different story. And then same like, uh, yeah, there's there's some days where I'll get straight off a plane, for example, just like a long haul flight and with a bit of jet lag and I won't have slept. I'll get straight off the plane and go out on the bike and feel fine. And then it's two or three days after with some pretty rubbish sleep that then I'll I'll notice that things are going south. So I think for me, it's not so much the one or two nights. It's if it's disrupted for a while, then I'll see, I'll really see a difference in performance there. But uh, yeah, I often find one one bad night's sleep and I can still perform fine. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much agreeing with what um, when we spoke to Shona, um, yeah, she mentioned exactly that. It's more when you're having that longer period, more than say three, four days, where yeah. we're not sleeping so well that that can have an impact. Do do you also hear that from I guess the athletes that you coach as well? Uh, I think a lot of the feedback I get from athletes is more susceptible to to letting a bad one bad night's sleep get the better of them um but I think that's probably uh more towards the mental side of just um yeah just thinking okay well I missed out on this sleep therefore I'm going to perform bad um Mm. or also even just they've had a bad day for another reason um for any like there's a lot of reasons people have bad training days but 
Mm-hmm. And then they've also had a bad night's sleep and there's that confirmation bias there. So mm-hmm. I would definitely always yeah, re- recommend that, especially if it's going to be multiple days in a row, that the, the sleep is bad, that that's a priority. But I think it's also important for people not to let that become a factor, just knowing that they've missed out on sleep and just having that sort of excuse in the back of your mind because there's often times where you have to really be able to push hard and if you've got that excuse there ready to go, it can give you an easy out for for missing out on training hard or missing out on performing well. So it is something I see a little bit and and that's a, a conversation I would, would have with people just to not let that one sleep get the better of you. Yeah, yeah. And are you someone who aims for a specific amount of sleep each night? Are you like, I need eight hours sleep, that's it? Or um, Yeah, I I would definitely be really cautious of that eight-hour mark. But for me, it's basically just trying to max it out. Like if I have the opportunity to, to sleep in for longer than than usual because I don't have anything in particular to do that day or because I've got a rest day where I'm not training quite so much then I'll just be like if I can sleep for 10 hours I will um Mm. and then yeah I think there's there's some days where I just have to accept that I might only get six or seven for whatever reason uh but yeah I know if I'm doing a heavy training block basically I just have that thought that if the sleep isn't there then there's not that much point in doing the training in the first place obviously the Mm. The training is the intervention, but the adaptation is going to be when you're recovering from it. And the the number one thing for recovery is sleep. So for me, sleep is sort of the yeah the thing that has to happen for the the training to be there. So it's not so much an hour thing, but just trying to to maximize it, especially during those heavy training blocks or during races. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we hear a lot about wearables for tracking sleep, and I'm sure you probably get asked a lot by the athletes that you coach. Um, is this something you've experimented with at all? Yeah, so I I, I use a, a watch at the moment that, that does some basic sleep stuff. I, I wouldn't look at it too often, um, but, like, I've been tracking my sleep for for years on um, just like a basic phone app, which just sits on my bed. So I know the accuracy of that's going to be even less than a wearable. It's more just something extra to look at. Uh, I always just think you can tell yourself if you're tired. <laughs> you're like you're the, the best measure mm-hmm. for how tired you are is, is how you're feeling. But mm-hmm. if I'm sort of seeing something going really badly or really good then I might just consult the data to look at that and then Mm. yeah this this kind of app that I've been I think it's like for six years now I think I've been using this same app um with just my phone on my bed and yeah I wouldn't look at it religiously every morning but uh yeah the just things like that that I'll consult a little bit but I'm not going to let it guide my training on my lifestyle too much I'll just use it as a an extra tool Mm, yeah and do you get athletes asking you a lot of questions about those all the wearables time. or yeah. yeah all the time yeah it's uh <laughs> massive now and there's so many different options as well for mm, that kind are. of stuff I think um I do like uh giving advice on that just based on the actual third-party research so mm. I think everyone is exposed to so much marketing that it's hard to establish which one's going to be more accurate. And there's some really mm. good studies now on those wearables, just which 
uh, done in conjunction with some sleep studies to to give you basically a percentage of error in in how well they're guessing that those sort of sleep zones. So mm-hmm. it, it's a good um, point to go off to to give some recommendations and then when I've got uh, athletes using them and asking me about that, it's more so just um, telling them not to get too caught up on the, those numbers because, uh, yes, sometimes it can basically the idea is that those that data is there to help you. So if it's then becoming a hindrance in that you're getting stressed about it or worried or too focused on that, then it might be time to stop looking at it for a little bit if it's becoming more of a problem than a benefit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of non-professional riders often have to get up super early to fit in training before work. Um, and a lot of bunch rides are obviously organised around those early hours. Is this something you either have to do or choose to do yourself? It sounds like you generally don't have to do that. Um, and do you find it hard to stay disciplined around going to bed early at night or is that just something that comes easier to you because obviously it's like your profession and you know how important sleep is to your training yeah for me it's a complete mix uh of the two so I kind of had the the double life when I'm in Australia it's I do tend to work a bit uh while I'm in Australia I'm essentially working full-time there as a teacher's aide in a school so that's uh yeah, 8.45 start and then uh, 3 o'clock finish. But the school that I'm working at in country Victoria is uh, 65K from my house and I'm riding mm-hmm. to and from work each day. So oh, for me, yeah. it's a, it's then a, it, it means I get my training in around work, but then it's a 5.15 wake up every day. But I don't find it too much of an issue because I'm just completely adjusting my go to bed time then. So then I'm just really making sure that I'm in bed, lights off by nine. Uh, whereas at the yep. moment here in Europe and like especially t- staying in um, like I was doing a training camp in Spain last month and we're staying in the middle of town it's not an option to go to bed at nine because that's when everyone's like that's when people start <laughs> eating dinner so yep. then it's just okay go to bed at 12 but make sure you're not awake before eight kind of thing um, and then just try and sleep in longer and start later so I think big for me to always adjust around the lifestyle for and make sure that the sleep is still right up there on the priority list so obviously when I'm working it it's not like I can get a 10 hour sleep if I want to unless I decided to go to bed at seven at night which is pretty rare that I'm in bed by that time but yeah in in Australia it's just a matter of shifting that because there's no way I'd want to be staying up at 12 staying up till 12 and then waking up at five yep yep and Again, is that something you have to do a lot of education with the um, group of athletes that you coach because they're very much in that situation where they've got, you know, crazy work hours probably having to get yeah. up really early. Yeah, and it's it just changes for everyone then as well. Like shift workers I feel the worst for. Um, mm. They've just got it bad no matter what and that's then just sort of a matter of, being adaptable and then also just encouraging them not to worry if if you do miss out because it's naturally going to happen if if your sleep's getting stuffed around that much and then also people with families as well like um 
obviously the family's going to be like your kids are going to be become a priority over sleep for a lot of the time because that's the kids end up being mm-hmm. number one in most family dynamics so yeah i think it's gonna it's gonna just completely change depending on the scenario my thing as i said before is just the the training and all of the other work uh, becomes irrelevant if you're not getting that sleep in. So that's just an important thing to keep reminding people is that that's got to be right up there. Otherwise, there's not much point putting in all the hard yards if you're not getting the recovery from it. Yeah, yep, yep. And do you struggle yourself with um, getting a good night's sleep before a, a comp? Yeah, definitely. And even during races, uh, during stage races, it tends to be some of the worst sleep because often uh, if you've had a bad day or, or a good day where you didn't quite win and then you're just replaying scenarios in your head and then also that added fatigue uh, often just makes it tough to get to sleep. That combined with the like racing here in Europe is often late afternoons or like in Belgium, it's into the evenings sometimes. So uh especially when you're like using caffeine as a performance enhancer in those races um late in the day and then trying to get to sleep then knowing that you're racing the next day that's Mm. that's some of the worst sleep um and then yeah for me it's just a matter of trying not to stress about that because understanding that it's just the way it is and also that most of the other competition will be in the same boat Mm. yeah yeah and so Looking more specifically at nutrition for, for sleep now, we spoke to, as you mentioned, um, Professor Shona Holson last week about whether certain foods or nutrients or even the timing could influence getting to sleep or waking up overnight. Have you experienced this where you felt some aspect of your nutrition has impacted on your sleep either helping you go to sleep or making it worse i know you just mentioned obviously caffeine has a has an impact uh yeah for me it's i'm pretty strict on nothing within three hours before going to sleep so it's obviously pretty tricky if i am working like getting up at five and trying to be in bed by nine then it means early dinner but i'll really try and stick to that because I just find I sleep so badly if I'm eating late. And then, yeah, especially like anything that's, uh, yeah, high sugar or high carb, just late, then I'm, I'm just a lot less likely to fall asleep. And then I know that's completely different for some people. Like my, my girlfriend, who's also a pro cyclist, she has to eat like within half an hour before bed or she'll be too hungry to fall asleep. So like, it's just, we couldn't be more different in regards <laughs> to that, but For me, I also find it's pretty handy having that rule for myself uh, for weight management as well because I often find at that time of night, like say here I'm going to bed at 11, if like between 8 and 11 I'm really reaching for a bowl of steamed veg, like at that point I'd be Mm -hmm. looking for chocolate or ice cream or something. Um, So -hmm. if I just know that after 8 I'm going to sleep better if I'm not eating, then it makes it also pretty easy for that. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't have an issue with going to bed slightly hungry. I know I'll, I'll fall asleep better like that than having something to eat at 10 at night and then trying to sleep after that. Mm. Mm. Does your girlfriend find particular food that she eats that helps her go to sleep? Like is it the – because uh, when we spoke to Shona, 
yeah, we spoke about, you know, the foods that are high in protein. Um, yep. Is it that or is, is she going for the hot chocolate and the chocolate? No, no <laughs> I thought, yeah, hot chocolate a bit, but she, she loves her yep. sugar-free hot chocolate. Um, but yep. then it's always just frozen strawberries and milk like at that time of night that's yeah that's just a thing that she needs to have that and that'll help her fall asleep so obviously there's a bit of sugar in the strawberries and then like the milks then your your protein but um yeah I don't think it's like it's never going to be perfect but it works for her and and gets Mm -hmm. her to sleep fine so um, I think, and it's going to just be different for each people. I know some, like some of my teammates before, have just needed to have oats, like a bowl of oats, late at night, mm-hmm. and that's what mm-hmm. helps them get to sleep. A lot of it probably ends up being just a routine thing that it's almost just like um, Pavlov's dog, but with with, uh, with sleep. Like once they've had their oats, their body goes, okay, now it's time to sleep. Like it probably just having that routine and that little thing helps some people. Whereas for me, I know like. If I'm having dinner late um, with someone, then it's just going to be harder for me to get to sleep. How do you find, Cyrus, for like some of those really big races? Let's say like you're back in Australia you're doing Melbourne to Warrnambool or Grafton to Inverall, you know, those five, six, seven-hour races. So you're going to really carve up, you know, the day before a one-day race like that. Do you find that that then becomes a challenge, eating like if you're eating a lot more carbs than you might on a day-to-day basis? Does that impact your sleep, do you feel? Or do you find if you stop that, early enough before bed it's it's okay with the carb loading for those kind of things i try and do it a bit earlier so i'll do a big glycogen depletion ride uh three two three four days before whatever sort of works around other races and then really try and replenish properly after that and then it's more so like two nights before or the the 24 hours before so that in that last 12 hours I'm not having to smash in too many carbs and then I just find mm-hmm. that I feel a lot um my stomach's not as full I'm less likely to be bloated I'm holding um yeah not as much there um so like something like Grafton to Inveril which also has the hills obviously you want full carbohydrate stores but don't want too much else sitting around so mm-hmm. that kind of thing I'll try and load up before and I'd never really thought of it um around sleep but it's probably also going to be beneficial for me as well if i'm not having to smash too many carbs the night before yeah yeah we did talk about that steph i think back when we spoke to jose areta back in episode 9a i think it was around carb loading and just you know one strategy is to sort of start the carb load early and then finish with sort of a normal size dinner that night before yeah because of that factor and I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago as well that certainly something I learned the hard way I remember doing Otway Odyssey (laughs) many years ago now and um you know carb loading like mad and then just struggling to get to sleep the night before because I was so full and bloated from from the carbs like I didn't you know go back to kind of normal serving sizes early enough in that that day before yeah and what about um any particular supplements that you've tried to help from a sleep pers- perspective at all? Yeah, for me, I just try and avoid supplements, not for any mm. particular reason. Like obviously as an athlete, you always have to be be careful of banned substances, but like now there's such good supplement checkers and stuff that batch tested that that's not as much of an issue for me. It's more with all the travel, it can just be hard to access the same thing wherever you go. So for me, I've just avoided supplements mostly for that reason because, say, for example, I was to use melatonin and then 
arrived here in Germany and I can't access a doctor as easily and get a script for it and that kind of stuff. Mm. And then the chance of panicking because I can't can't access that and thinking, oh, well, now I won't be able to sleep. So for that reason, I've s- sort of avoided um, that. And then also with all the long-haul travel, like I know uh, cyclists and a lot of athletes will make use of sleeping pills for that reason or like different kinds of things for that. But I've just always avoided it because I haven't been someone that's had trouble with sleeping for longer periods. So I basically want to avoid it as long as possible because I know some people have really struggled with it once they start and struggle to get off it. And um, I know it's it's still a problem um, within the cycling community, especially for athletes from Australia and New Zealand. Um, I'm sure like, yeah, the riders wouldn't be that open about it, but I'm, I'm sure the numbers are still quite high on people that are relying on those quite a lot. So mm. for me, the longer I can stay away from them and, and avoid them, the better for that reason. Uh, and I'm just lucky that I'm not someone that's really needed anything, any extra help to sleep. Mm. Yeah, well, I think, you know, Shona was saying also if it's not a prescription as well from the doctors and that getting it from the pharmacy or online, they don't actually know how much of, let's say, melatonin or whatever is in the yeah. supplement as well. Um, so yeah, your body obviously does, um, then become to rely on it. So yeah. Um, what about hydration? Um, often a thing that Alan and I always get is, you know, athletes can be worried about making sure they're hydrated starting their event or even training. But then of course, what happens is they can, um, then get up during the middle of the night and go to the loo 20 times. Um, do you find that's an issue? Do you? hopefully you're you're probably not trapped with that but do you find your athletes sometimes um yeah get mixed up with that yeah yeah I know like some people uh would really struggle with it I think for me the I'm pretty good at drinking to thirst enough that I I don't tend to do it so much with fours but what I'll find is if I have a meal that's just full of edge which is pretty regular um it's what me and my girlfriend would live off is just vegetables on salads and like you just the amount of water content in that kind of stuff uh i find if i'm yeah having that like if i've having that and then i have fruit salad for dessert you can sort of almost forget how much water you've taken in if you've had half a kilo of veg and then yeah 300 grams of fruit there um then yeah you probably got about 700 ml extra water there so that sometimes will catch up with me during the night and then also, um, the other one that I'm pretty cautious of is if I've been going to the gym or or just training really hard and build up a lot of inflammation from that, and then if I recover, I often find the night after a recovery day is when I'm most susceptible to just like needing to get up 20 times during the night to pee because mm-hmm. all that inflammation is just holding onto water. Mm-hmm. And like as that muscle is being repaired, you've got all this excess water there. So I... Um, often I'm pretty cautious of those things and then for me the way I sort of try to get around that is just electrolytes and like just having salty foods like it's not something I would recommend to the general population but for me training here in above 30 degrees I'm just excreting that much salt that if I'm just having some olives and some feta with with dinner and that kind of thing then I tend to notice that I'm okay throughout the night um but 
yeah, it's not something I struggle with. I know like my girlfriend every night is four or five times, like just she she gets so pissed off, but she'll it's she's just uh, having crazy amounts of fruit and veg. So it's it's tough to find a way around that um, without having half a kilo of salt each day. So yeah, <laughs> it can be tricky that one. Yep, yep. And I'm guessing you're a person that doesn't have that much alcohol. No, I. So it's funny. I thought that question would come up. I, um, <laughs> in this area here, where I am in Germany, it's just like when I, I had no idea. We just booked this Airbnb because we saw some hills around, and then we arrived, and the valleys are just full of vineyards. Um, so I'm not a massive wine drinker, but I just thought, well, I'm in this crazy nice wine part of Germany. I'm gonna have to to try one of the red wines. So like, I literally just looked up at the vineyard that I can see from our window and. And bought a wine from there um and then it's more so just like um and then even like in belgium i just love my belgian beers but it's not something i would have every night it's just knowing that okay this is something that might affect my sleep isn't going to be beneficial um so <laughs> to just yeah be really cautious about when i have it and just know the effect of it so just think okay well like i don't want to have this while i'm in a heavy training phase or anywhere near a race kind of thing um but it's i i'm definitely not perfect in that regard um i do enjoy beer and wine still mm, that's not the certainly not the worst place in the world for, for either of those yeah which makes it tough particularly yep. in the middle of summer yeah but um i guess looking beyond nutrition now because i think it sort of covered all the sort of those main areas in terms of nutrition um or, or are there any others that, that you find in terms of like the timing of meals or um you know, certain foods or things that you find impact your sleep one way or the other or others that you've heard from athletes that you work with? Yeah, not so much for me. Um, yeah, it's just going to be uh, the, a, a big thing for me, I think, uh, that I've struggled with more before but not so much now is uh, that's affected my sleep around nutrition is if I've just had a bad day on nutrition and just like, so for example, um, where I was staying one year with a team in Belgium, we were 500 meters from the nearest McDonald's and my teammates always used to go down and get a McFlurry after dinner. And then I'd usually be fine. And then like, if I'd gone down and got a McFlurry after dinner, uh, one night and then just come home and be like sitting, lying there awake thinking, Oh, why did I do that? It's not that that's keeping me awake. It's more just the, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. And then, um, Obviously, yeah, that's a big sign of disordered eating. And, um, yeah, I've, I'm lucky I'm not really uh, – I haven't had too many troubles with that kind of thing before. But And then, like, yeah, at that point I'm almost thinking, oh, should I go out for a walk because I had that McFlurry at that amount of time. And so, like, that side of things I think is something that has disrupted my sleep before and I'm sure other people have been the same of just thinking, like, if you're in a, a phase of competition which most – athletes would encounter where you're trying to lose weight for whatever reason and you've made just a bad decision around food or not necessarily a bad decision just a decision that you regret later on um, and letting that affect your sleep because you're getting stressed about it so that's something I've uh, struggled with before whereas now I'd sort of be more just able to move on quickly and think well lying awake is just exacerbating the problem because 
I'm um, then not recovering and not going to be able to train. So then I'm going to be in, like, if I'm going down that road, then I'm going to be too heavy and too slow. So yeah, you're better off um, just moving on as quickly as possible and then not letting it just affect things further down the road. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's probably speaks to sort of, I guess, more anxiety or yeah, sort of thought yeah. pattern um, in general. I guess food is one of those potentially for some people, but it can be all sorts of things for all sorts of people. And as you said earlier, it could be you know, even if you've had a bad day, you know, it's a stage race and you had a bad stage for whatever reason or you're yeah. sort of thinking it through in your head and replaying it all. all yeah, night. yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay. Any other sort of non-nutrition tips or tricks that you've found for getting a good night's sleep yourself or things that you've sort of seen in teammates or other athletes that you've coached? Uh, for, it's just the the standard things for me, basically. So dark, the darkest room you can possibly get. Uh, I always just take earplugs with me everywhere. Um, like if you're, you're lucky you're with a teammate that doesn't snore because often we're just sharing rooms. But yeah, even like as, as I was saying in Europe, you just get church bells and just random noises in towns everywhere. So earplugs and yeah, a face mask or a dark room. Um, basically everywhere that way you know you can there are things that you can control and then uh wherever possible just trying to get the room nice and cool i think i'm just someone that naturally runs pretty hot anyway and then particularly like i'll notice it during heavy training phases like you just the metab metabolic rates just way higher um you're just sitting there steaming at night almost it feels like Mm -hmm. and then if you're in a hot room as well um then it can be really tricky so just using all the tricks to try and get the room as cool as possible. Um, I don't like sleeping with the aircon on. Uh, just obviously it just dries out your sinuses and everything. But if if it means getting a good night's sleep, then I'll face that. And then, yeah, using a fan. Like here last week when it was that hot, I had the, the wet cloth out um, after a cold shower just before bed. So temperature control for me is probably the, the big one that I actually have to focus on to to really try and make sure I'm getting the highest quality sleep. Mm. And we didn't discuss it directly with Shona, but do you find screens like, you know, looking at phones and computers and TVs and things impacts your sleep? Yeah, I think so. That that app that I have actually, um, it's really interesting. The uh, I'm basically just inputting all these little notes um, and then it gives basically reads out things that will change my sleep quality. But like for me, I get 10% better sleep on average, which is pretty massive uh, if I am reading a book before bed. But mm-hmm. um, I don't read a book every night because like if I'm here with my girlfriend and then we'll, we'll just watch something on Netflix together instead. And yeah, I know that I'm probably going to sleep better if I read a book, but we can't read the same book together and chat about it. So like, and for this, and the same thing, like even I'll find... Um, when I'm in Australia uh, working during the day at the school and then doing my coaching in the evenings just before bed to catch up on it. Like sometimes the screen time is unavoidable um, or it's just something that I know that I would I would think that it would, would make my sleep a little worse. So it's then just about accounting for that if I am having that late screen time and just knowing, okay, this isn't going to be the, the best thing, but it may be at times a necessary <laughs> evil or sometimes I'm just, yeah, doing something because I like doing it like if I'm watching Netflix late at night when yeah I could be reading a book um just for that reason but yeah just knowing that knowing the effect that it might have um and just being able to account for that then yeah 
And the final one I'm curious on, I remember back our very first ever athlete guest, Evan Dunphy, who actually just won gold in the um, 10,000 metre race walk at the Commonwealth Games the other day. So congratulations, Evan. Uh, he said when we asked him what's one thing you have to take with you when you're travelling for competition, he said he has to take his pillow with him everywhere. Are you someone who has to take your own pillow or are you pretty good with whatever's supplied? Uh, I'm just lucky. I can sleep on any bed, fine. Like yeah. I can sleep on the floor, fine. But in um, Tour of the Gear this year in the US, uh, anyone that knows about racing in the USA, there's a big house housing, uh, yeah. host housing, sorry. So they like pretty much everyone's just put up in um, host houses by locals rather than in hotels like you'd get in other places in the world. It's like a school exchange. Yeah, we had we had six of us on the team, and um, there was yeah two and a half bedrooms, but uh, also only three beds. So <laughs> I was on the floor, but like slept as good as anywhere else on this little camp mattress with a, a couch cushion. Um, so I'm pretty lucky in that regard um, that I can sleep on anything but i do know a lot of guys will just travel around with their pillow everywhere i just like to travel as large as possible i've already got enough enough stuff with me always yep fair enough all right well let's move into our bonus round to finish off with cyrus where we find out a little bit more about you other than your sleeping routine and what's happening in europe yep the first one Obviously, we said you've, you know, you've got your own podcast. Who's one person you'd mo- most like to get as a guest for your own podcast? Uh, it's a tricky one, this one. I was thinking about it, and I don't know if it'd be any particular athlete because I think the biggest athletes you have heard on podcasts before at some point. Um, so it's mm. probably like uh, someone that you guys definitely know, Louise Burke, so just the – like she's yeah. on just about every single nutrition publication, um, sports nutrition, and like, yeah, the the amount of stuff that she's seen and how much she's seen the sports that she's worked in change uh, over time. She'd be someone just really cool to just pick her brain. Um, I think it would be tough because she's got so much in there to to pick any one thing to talk about. Um, otherwise, you'd end up with a ten hour mm. podcast. But yeah, she's definitely someone that. Yeah, even every every time I looked at any kind of sports nutrition study in my my degree, it would just come up with L. Burke in the the yep. citations. So, yeah, it'd be cool to chat to her. Yep, awesome. We had she was our very first ever podcast guest. There you go. Yeah. Um, one thing on your bucket list that you haven't done. Uh, yeah, it's another tough one. I do love ticking off countries, but I can't think of any particular country. I'm up to 39 countries now, but I can't think of anyone that's at the top of that bucket list. So for me, uh, it's not a cycling, like obviously Tour de France would be great, but a lot of that's out of my control, whether I ever get to race that. But the thing for me would just be one of those big epic hikes. So I, can't, I haven't settled on one yet, but like something like the Grand Camino or the Kokoda Track or, or something like that, or yeah, even... Um, the one that goes all the way up the range in America, I forget what it's called, but one of those just massive ones that takes weeks or months. Um, that'd be something I'd love to do. It's probably going to have to be something after I'm finished up on the bike because you have to miss a fair bit of riding to get one of those done, but just the completely self-sufficient and uh, really just pushing the limits on something completely different. I'd love to do yep. one of those. Uh, well, this might be the same answer then, but is there a sport that you've always gone, oh, I'd really love to try that one day, but you haven't had the opportunity? 
was pretty lucky really that I got to try so many sports as a kid. So I was, um, yeah, able to try just about every sport in Australia and we're obviously lucky in Australia have access to so many. But one that I always just keep thinking back to it many times, like I, I played a lot of golf as a kid, but that's something, it's not so much something I haven't tried, but it's something that I always just think, oh, geez, I wish I'd pursued that and put as many hours into that as cycling because uh, you can be the thousandth best golfer in the world and be uh, making an absolute millions and then you still get all the travel everywhere and that kind of stuff. So there's so many times that I just sort of think, oh, geez, I wish I'd done that. But then also then you miss out on the whole endurance training and that side of things. But yeah, uh, there's always that little part of me that just thinks, oh, geez, I wish I'd I'd kept playing golf. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Your favourite sporting moment from 2022 so far? Uh, yeah, that's a, a tough one. I think for me, it'd probably be the first race I did with the team in uh, the UAE, United Arab Emirates. Just the, it's a funny one. I won the opening time trial there and I definitely wouldn't call myself a pure time trialist and it was a, <laughs> it was a prologue, so it was quite short. But uh, yeah, just being able to win win a UCI level race and um, somewhere completely different, I think um, that was just yeah pretty cool to to be able to do that. Um, and after just a big summer of training, where you come into the first race and you never really know how you'll be going. So as much as it's not a race where you get to throw your hands in the air and celebrate because you have to wait for everyone to finish to see if you've won, uh, that would be the highlight of my year so far. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, and the final question, do you live by any piece of advice or motto? Uh, For that, I think it would be something my dad always said, and it was just uh, control the controllables. So there's a lot of things that happen in both sport and in life that a lot of things happen that are out of your control. And if you're getting caught up on those things, then it's just like stress and anxiety that's not useful for anything and not getting you anywhere so if you just focus on the things that are in your control and I think everyone's sort of had a lot of that in the last few years with COVID and everything else going on where at times you just there's a whole lot that you can't do but if you just focus on the things that you can do then that's the best way to get to where you want to go and and really the only way to get to where you want to go is if you're just focusing on those so that's something I always try and pass on to other people is just look at what's in your control and do what you can about that. Yep. Right. Even if you've got a McFlurry halfway down your small intestine, it's gone now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, exactly. Just focus on getting to sleep. That's what you <laughs> can <Yep>. control. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Cyrus. Great to chat to you and, and get a bit of your perspective around sleep and obviously the role that nutrition has on that. As we said, you know, people can catch up with sort of more sports science related stuff in in cycling with your podcast cycling performance club um but yeah thanks for your time great thanks so much for having me on really enjoyed it thank you thank you very much cyrus for your time um we'll let you go get some extra sleep now uh and leave it to the one and only out to give a bit of a summary from i guess shona's take and then um cyrus's feedback on on sleep yeah, so our question was, can changing my nutrition improve my sleep? And I guess Shona and Cyrus gave us a bit of an insight into that. Shona, in terms of the, the research, and Cyrus, a little bit on that, but more so you know, his own findings, which married up quite nicely, actually, with the, the scientific evidence that Shona discussed last week on the podcast as well. 
So I guess, first of all, you know, Cyrus tends to be able to sleep pretty well. He's someone who's uh, one of those lucky ones who can sleep pretty much anywhere and with any mattress, pillow, floor, whatever it is. <laughs> um, but there are certainly things that he finds that he can put in place to help improve his quality of sleep and the amount of time he's in, sleep, uh, in bed. So going to bed at what sounds like fairly regular hours where he can, having that sort of pattern and routine, which Shona talked about, be really important wherever possible. And then obviously, you know, as a cyclist, he's traveling a lot for races. So having ways of making the room as dark as possible, you can get sort of block out blinds and things are often designed for, for babies and kids, but you can use them as well, potentially to cover up windows. If there's a lot of light creeping through, you can try and cool the room down as much and you know, lower body temperature. And he talked about that in terms of cold showers and uh, wet towels and things, particularly in the, the European heat wave that he's experiencing at the moment. And then things like eye masks and earplugs and that kind of thing can be really helpful for some people. And that's probably around particularly that um, quality of sleep as much as the quantity and not mm. being disturbed overnight. He tries to maximise sleep where he's able to. So if he doesn't need to get up early in the morning for training, then he will take that extra time to sleep in where possible. Obviously, that's not possible for everyone because of work. And as Cyrus said, when he's in town here in Melbourne, he is working. And so that's not as easy as it is when he's over in Europe at the moment. We talked a little bit about wearables. As Shona said, the ability of wearables to accurately track sleep uh, when you are asleep or not is getting better. The staging of sleep, maybe not so much. Um, Cyrus did talk about the fact that he uses his phone sometimes to track sleep, but it's not something that he really overthinks. And, you know, he talked about that vicious cycle, that trap of being so anxious about being about getting a good night's sleep that you actually don't get a good night's sleep because you're thinking mm. about trying to get a good night's sleep and that can really become a vicious cycle. So trying to avoid that wherever possible and, as he said, you know, controlling the controllables. Um, in terms of the nutrition side of things, Cyrus talked about, you know, eating at least three hours before sleep, which kind of married up nicely with what Shona was talking about, particularly the sort of the high GI foods. Um, but for him, that tends to, to help. Uh, whereas for other people, it could be having something that is high in protein, particularly just before bed, you know, milk or a milk-based drink, something like that can be good for, for some people. Um, he also mentioned you know, caffeine and being mindful of caffeine influencing his sleep, particularly when he's in Belgium at the moment and a lot of races happen sort of later on in the day. So that can be a little bit of a challenge if you're going to be reliant on caffeine or using it a lot in racing. If your racing is later in the day, then that can prove an issue in some cases as well. Um, and then in terms of particular supplements for sleep, he talked about the fact that while that's not something that he does himself, he is wary that, that a lot of athletes do turn to supplements, but also pharmaceuticals, so medications. And um, that has been something that has been an issue in the cycling world in the past uh, and possibly still is now with overuse of uh, pharmaceutical products as well for sleep. So it's certainly something he prefers not to use because of the potential for the addiction side of things and, and just reliance on it if you're traveling in different places and you can't get access to the things that you need then that can be a challenge as well and we've talked about that before with nutrition for travel if you're too reliant and, and not adaptable or flexible then that can potentially get you into trouble no matter whether it's food supplements or medications so yeah it's an interesting take on it yeah yeah awesome um cool so Next episode we've got is episode 43A um, and we both really enjoyed this one, Al. 
Um, so the question is, does creatine have a role in endurance sport? Uh, and yep. we're joined by, it'd be doctor, right? Dr. Brian yep. Saunders. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, do you want to give a little rundown on um, Brian? Yeah, so Brian is a British researcher but actually lives in Brazil, works at the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. So our first South American guest, although he's obviously British but living in South America, mm -hmm. and he's going to talk about the role or whether creatine does have a role in endurance sports. So this was actually a listener question that we had come through and I think both of us, Steph, have worked with athletes before that have used creatine, not necessarily our recommendation, just that they were already using it when they first came to see us. So it's an interesting one because we tend to associate creatine with, you know, building muscle in the gym or sort of very, you know, sprints and explosive high-performance type efforts. So I guess the question is, you know, some endurance sports and ultra-endurance sports still have elements of sort of very high intensity in them, things like, you know, mountain biking over obstacles, obviously sprint finishes in road cycling, uh, you know, suddenly climbing a wall in obstacle course racing, all that kind of thing. So there are potentially elements in there. So what is the scientific evidence that creatine might be useful in those situations? Uh, is it something that's worth pursuing or something that's uh, not worth pursuing or could be potentially detrimental? So we're going to answer that question next week with Brian. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So um, just a reminder to listeners, if yeah, you've got any questions, please send them through to um, all our social media Facebook, um, Instagram or Twitter at The Long Munch and you can listen to us on all your popular podcast platforms. If you in, enjoy it or um, think one of your training buddies or friends might benefit from one of the episodes, yeah, please um, let them know about us and we'd love you to subscribe if you enjoy it. Otherwise, we will leave you in peace until next week. Will do. See you then.